Father, we're thankful and we're grateful that we this morning can come before you and seek to be instructed by you. I ask, O Lord, that this morning you'd be gracious and kind as you always are, and please give us what we don't deserve. Give us grace, give us favor, give us your word. Embed it deep in our hearts. Strengthen it in our hearts. May it take root in our hearts. And grow up and produce much fruit. Father, I pray now for all of us, every single person sitting here, that we would know what it means to share with one another. We would know what it means to rejoice with one another. To weep with one another. And that we'd be a body who does that well. For we ask it in Christ. Amen. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says the same thing, but a little differently. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. These verses cover the extremes. Rejoicing on the one hand, weeping on the other hand. And it declares to us to share in these. And it gives us the extremes, assuming that we share in the middle as well. It's not like you only only rejoice together, you only weep together, but you don't do anything in between. It's, It's sharing the extremes of life to give, you, give us the broad breadth and scope of what it is we're to share all things together. Now, how many of you were told as children, now children, you need to share? No one. <laughs> most of us were told as children to share. And most parents want their children to share. want them to share Why? Because they want them to be, be loving. They want them to be generous. They want to, them to look out for one another. You know, you, you, you don't like it when you see your kid with eight cookies. His friends have none. And he's got this face like, get lost. These are mine. I stole them. That's what, that's what so often children are like. Because in their hearts, it's all about me. And so we need to be trained and taught and exhorted and encouraged to think, no, it's not all about you. You've got eight and you've got five friends. How about you share them? How about you you take what's been given to you and you give it to those around you as well? Okay. And hopefully over the years it, it, it lightens up and they no longer say, okay, but they actually start to Think about it, and you see progress. Isn't it great as parents to see progress? You see in a distance, you know, they're getting a little older. It's like, would you like one? Sure. So they break a piece off. and <laughs> That's progress. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, they, they're starting to get it. And that, so that's the idea of, like, sharing. It's, it's, it's the way we show love. But you know what? Us as adults, we still need to be rebuked, encouraged, instructed, and say, listen, people, you need to share. 
And what should we share? Well, the text here talks about things that we should share that get to a get to some really hard issue, issues as adults that we need to learn to share because it's fundamental and it's essential to what it means to love one another in community. Because, you know, fundamentally what we're called to, as we've looked at so often, as the people of God, as a community, we're to be and reflect the, the triune community, God himself. And we know, as we've looked at, what defines the community, the triune community, is love. Perfect love the Father has for the Son, the Son for the Father, the, son, the Father and the Son for the Spirit, the Spirit for the Son and the Father. This is, and what they do is they share everything. They share in joys and sorrows and love and laughter. Sharing defines what they do. They're all about sharing and giving what they have to the other. And the other's receiving and, and, and rejoicing in what the other has. You know, this is, this is something that you, we, we do with those we love, we share. If you look at families that love one another, well, they share dreams, they share clothes, well, especially the girls, the girls share clothes. We share tables, we share food, we share books, we share life, we share. And that's, that's a central component to those who love one another. A, re, a community that reflects the triune comu- community is a community that joyfully shares. And this morning, as we look at this text, as we, we're going to look at the, the two parts of it, the, the rejoicing and the weeping. And we're going to look at what it means to share these things, because this is very important. Often, we, I don't think we even understand what it means to share in our rejoicing and to share in our weeping. And as we're going to find out, we often get it wrong. We often don't do this really well. And you can clearly see why we need to be instructed and why we need to be exhorted and why we need to be encouraged to love one another this way. And I want to begin by looking at this whole aspect of sharing your joy with one another. As, we, as it clearly says, you're to rejoice with those who rejoice. And, and it tells us this because we often listen as the one who's, who's rejoicing. We, oh, sorry, we listen to the one rejoicing but we just kind of listen, and we just leave it at that. They're rejoicing. They're excited. We say, oh, that's good for you. That's great. And so sometimes that can be awkward as we just purely, merely listen. And sometimes that can actually be, come across as very cold. We also know how disappointing is it? How disappointing is it when we are, we're completely excited about something, and you go to tell someone, and they don't respond in any way except for, hmm, interesting. Okay, we'll go somewhere else. <laughs> you, don't, you don't feel loved at that point. You don't, you, there's no reciprocation. And in fact, you often feel like an idiot. Uh, I'll never share that again. I'll probably, next time something good happens to me, I'll keep it to myself. When yet, at the same time, flip that around. When we share our joys with somebody, our rejoicing, and they rejoice with us, at that moment, our joy multiplies. It actually increases. It's like C.S. Lewis said about praise. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. 
The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. And I would add, it's brought to its consummation because the one receiving the praise is delighted by it. Because they rejoice together. Just imagine, you told the lover how beautiful she is, and she goes, Psh! Whoa! That wasn't the appointed consummation. That I, I shared it, and just in the sharing of it, it was wonderful. No, I have to share it, and when I share it, they respond by, Ah, oh, thank you. You too. This is what brings the consummation, the delight, is when you share in the joy. The joy of it needs to be shared. And I think not, it's not even like it's beyond consummation, it's multiplication. It multiplies the joy. We also have to realize that when we are expressing joy to one another, and when it's we're commanded to rejoice with those who rejoice, This necessarily assumes we have to listen to one another. This is big. Because in listening to one another, we have to listen to one another a certain way. When someone's speaking to us and we're having a conversation, we're not called as Christians, bearers of the truth, to cross our arms and to examine what they have to say, whether or not it's legit and according to truth. Is this legitimate rejoicing? Maybe they're a fool, and I should examine their foolishness. This is not legitimate. You notice the text does not tell us to critique or examine it at all. It just says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Join in. It actually assumes a certain kind of listening to people. It's like, it's listening in a way that you've maybe heard this before. You mirror them. If they're smiling, you smile. If they're, if they're excited, you, you, you try to match their excitement. You're seeking to look into them and to join with them. It's like someone really listening in a way that's really seeking to identify with that person and, and go with them in it. Like, are you excited? Yeah, let's, I'm excited too. I don't even know why, but you're excited and I, I'm going to be excited because you're excited. It's a completely different way of listening. It's not listening as an examiner. It's listening as a participant, one who joins in and joins in the listening and participates with whatever that person is going through. You know, one thing that can really kill this, kill people wanting to share, kill people wanting to open up and share their joys with one another, is if you have a tendency to be sarcastic or if you're, you like to use these moments to be witty and funny. Because it comes across as belittling and mocking. When somebody says something in a situation that they're all excited about, and we make some comment about their excitement in a funny way, like to make, almost make light of it or make fun of it, because it's easy in those moments, to, when somebody is excited, to usually say something about their excitement in such a way that it comes across as, as funny. They're, they're kind of, because when we express joy, you know what we're doing? We're being vulnerable. Because you're opening yourselves up to some comments. A little excited, are we? Yeah, I was, till now. Yeah, it's like, 
But so, so and every and then the person who makes that comment, they think everyone could get a chuckle like that and like I'm pretty funny. I'm a funny guy. And I'm I'm pretty witty and they think I'm getting all this respect from people because I'm so funny and I'm so witty. But that person just said in their heart and their head, I will never show my excitement around this person again. <laughs> You've been hurt. You've been wounded. You've, so sarcasm and, and wit that, that's biting or mocking can actually destroy any sharing. Like you might have done it once, but you didn't set a vow. Yeah, I, I was, got all excited. I shared something with these people, and they looked at me. They made fun of me. They made some funny comment. Everybody started laughing, and that's the last time in my life I'll ever do that. Have you ever had something like that happen where you, you got hurt, you got wounded, and you said in your head, that's a no-no. You don't ever do that. And often, you know, this is the worst with guys. Because guys are macho, guys are cool, they want to look like they're all brazen. And so someone, someone opens themselves up and expresses something they're rejoicing over, and the guys make fun of it, and oh, everybody's laughing. And, like, and we will never do that again. You've just now destroyed the community. You've taken away something that was, you know, an area where we're able to express love and how we're to love one another and rejoicing when others are rejoicing, and we just killed it. It's no longer there. The only way for us to create a safe environment, an environment where there's love and there's acceptance, is by reciprocating with one another. When someone shares a joy, share in that joy with them. You know, you've got to be okay with being a little silly, having a little laughter. They're being smiling and somebody getting a little excited. Let people be excited. That's great. Join in their excitement. Don't kill it. You join in their excitement. You join in with them. You rejoice when they're rejoicing. And they feel loved. They feel appreciated. They feel like you, you actually care. You know what that encourages? More of it. And look out, you unleash a community where there's love, there's safety in expressing our joys. And it's a community that's loving and laughing and rejoicing together. And it becomes this powerful, transformative community that everybody would long to be a part of. That's what happens when we rejoice with those who rejoice. It, it really is. This, this, this is an a command, an exhortation for us to love one another. It's a way of listening. It's a way of reciprocating. It's a way of entering in with one another and rejoicing together. And as we do that, we grow in love and the bonds of affection increase. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you really like somebody. You know, if somebody, they... That's the person that always laughs at what you're laughing at. And for some reason, your heart just goes toward them. It's like, I just like being around this person. I love the energy that comes from them. And they, they seem to laugh when I'm laughing. They seem to laugh at the stuff I laugh at. They seem to rejoice at what I'm rejoicing in. And there's, a, there's bonds of affection that, that come through in that. That's why God knows he made us. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And on the other side of the spectrum, we're not just to rejoice with those who rejoice, but we're to share our sorrow with one another as well. Because when it comes to weeping with those who weep, this can often be difficult. 
just as difficult. It's great that he tells us to do this because it's just as difficult sometimes as laughing or rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. Because we don't like it when others are crying and they're broken. When you see someone who's crying and they're broken, and when something's broke, what do you want to do, guys? Fix it. That's what you do with broke things. You don't let broke things be broke things. You fix them. Right? Yet how many of us, when we're going through a difficult time, want to be lectured about how to fix our problem? Not many. In many cases, we probably know how to fix it better than the person trying to lecture us at that time. But we don't want to fix it yet. And why? Because weeping and grieving and having sorrow is something God wants us to do. He's created us to be people who know who weep when it's appropriate to weep and to sorrow when it's appropriate to sorrow and to have these feelings. And a lot of times, if we cannot go through that process, we don't even fully heal. That's how we're made. Yet inevitably, when someone's going through a tragedy... We either avoid them because we don't know what to say. Have you ever had that problem? I've had that problem. I have no idea what to say to them. I don't know what to say. As if I'm supposed to say something. What, interesting, even the comment, isn't it? I have no idea. I, it's why you want to avoid them. I don't want to even see them. If I see them, I have no idea what to say to them. It's like we have something in our head that says that we have to say something. The Bible just says, you know, if, weep with those who weep. Join with them. You don't have to say anything. If you just saw them, hugged them, and started crying with them, you would have just ministered them in one of the most powerful ways possible. You just shared their burden with them, their sorrow with them. We often just need some time and some space to weep, to sorrow, to grieve. We just need, it's part of the process and we need it. But we think we need to be told, or we think we need to go tell somebody somehow, you know, everything is going to be okay. God is going to work all things out for good. Cheer up. Thanks, Einstein. <laughs> that, that's, that's not what they need. It's like that we've got to get this out of our heads somehow and realize, and it's hard, especially for guys, because uh, broken, fix it. Uh, there's a problem, there's a solution. You know, it, it'll be okay. You know, guys, it's the most awkward thing at times, especially for men to know how to join in with people who are suffering, with, uh, weep with those who are weep. You know, just, just to go and hug somebody and, and, and let them know they're there. It's in our minds, we, all we feel and all we sense and all we know is that this is a busted thing. And this, bu- I don't like it. I want that busted thing back together. Well, no, that, you're right. It is a busted thing. And it's supposed to be busted. It's supposed to be broken. There's supposed to be mourning. There's supposed to be sorrow. There's supposed to be we- weeping. Tragedy should come with weeping. It's how we're supposed to deal with it, part of the process. And what are we called to do? We're called to join them in it. Weep with those who weep. I can't tell you. When we went through the tragedy with Antonia, 
one of the most powerful things ever, and this is, I've known this by experience, is when people would come alongside me and say nothing but just hold me. It's like the sorrow was somewhat diminished, as if someone else is carrying it with you. It's the most powerful thing that you could ever do, is just join in it with them. Be there with them. We need to learn what this means because we're not good at it. In the book, Love One Another, Becoming the Church Jesus Longs For, Gerald Sitzer says, Those in grief welcome a visit if it comes without too many words. Conversation if it comes without too much advice. An invitation if it comes without too much pressure to accept. Very well said. He went on to say in this book about a woman who was grieving after she lost her husband, and she commented to Gerald and said that she appreciated Christian friends in her church who offered advice only when she asked for it. That's great wisdom. That is really good wisdom. But obviously there's some other wisdom needed at the other end of the spectrum. Because having said all that I have said, we are to weep with those who weep. And the most potent thing, the most loving thing, the best thing we can do is enter in with them and weep with them and be alongside of them and enter it into it with them. On the other hand, here, here's the thing. Here's some other wisdom. If someone's been weeping for three years over something, okay, maybe there's a problem. Now the whole problem, needing to fix it thing is, is legit. Okay. It's been three years now. And now's the time to find out, ask some diagnostic questions. What's going on? What's the problem? Why, why? I mean, three years is an exaggeration to make the point. But what I'm saying is that there's a, that's a, a long time. There, if after a long time, somebody is not dealing well with it, they're not healing, they're not moving forward, they're not, they're not coming through it, then at that point, yeah, it is, it's no longer, the Bible says weep with those who weep, but this person has been weeping for way too long. Something truly is wrong. They're not, they're still broken. There's still something that's not, they're not being healed. And now we need to find out what's going on and then seek to have them healed. So there is wisdom on the other end of the spectrum. But, but that's, that's something that we actually, we'll identify a lot quicker and and be able to minister to a lot easier than the other side of the spectrum. I think what we need to learn to do is to identify with people and to weep with those who are weeping and come alongside. But here, let's just say this. Let's just say you're that person who doesn't cry. You don't even cry at your mother's funeral, or you wouldn't cry at your mother's funeral. You're just a person. You don't, you don't know how to express emotion. And you're hearing this, you think, man, I'm the kind of person, I don't really, I'm not really weepy. I don't weep at things. Someone tells me something sad, and I'm just like, I don't know. Is there something wrong with me? How do I weep with them? Well, there's nothing wrong with you, and you don't have to worry about it because you don't have to literally weep with them. But the idea is coming alongside them, joining with them in it. And the biggest thing, even if they're weeping and you're not, and you're there for them, and you just put your arm around them, and you, and you walk with them, and you tell them that, that if I'm here for you, I'll do anything for you, that's joining in it with them. And that's the idea 
So you don't have to feel bad that you're not weeping because sometimes it's like, man, maybe I, you know, can I get some from my eyes and start to fake it because I feel so bad. I, I, don't, I just don't have that. The tears don't come very easily, but I still am very concerned for them. Don't beat yourself up. The idea isn't that you have to shed tears. The idea is that you come alongside and join in it with them and walk together with them. This is how love is expressed. Love is expressed in these areas, and we need to be exhorted in the Scriptures because we don't do this well. We don't rejoice with others well, and we don't weep with others well. And so we need to be encouraged to do this and, and, and protect this and guard this and nourish this. And I want to tell us, I want to bring it together and say this is why. Because we need to be, keep fundamentally center as a church this idea that we need to share love with one another. We share love with one another, and one of the, one of the ways we do this is by weeping and rejoicing with one another. And this only happens as we are people who are fundamentally committed to loving one another. It is our top priority. It is what we're about. Because, you know, we can so easily get caught up in other things. We can get caught up in becoming this people. What we're about, we're about homeschooling, or about health and nutrition, or about essential oils, or politics, or end times, or baptism, or liturgy, or music, or whatever. It's so easy to become about other things. The church is the family of God that is fundamentally, it's created to love. As John says in 1 John 3.11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We were so loved by Jesus that we were brought into this community, the triune community of love. Called to love, brought into love, called to love one another in the world around us. That's our purpose. That's why we were loved. That's why Jesus redeemed us, to become the community of love that reflects and images to the world the triune community of love. So the moment and the moment when anything else and other things become more important than love, we get derailed. And we no longer share life with one another. This can even be good things. We get derailed by really good things. Listen to Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this famous passage. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, well, tongues are good, right? But have not love. I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. What's he saying there? Are all those things good? Seems to me, you go through that list, you think, man, those are some really good things. Giving away all that you have to the poor, sacrificing your, your body to be burned. Like, wow. Having all knowledge and wisdom, knowing mysteries, prophetic powers. He says, that's useless without love. And I'd be willing to bet that throughout your own experience, if you've lived long enough and been in the church, you could probably testify to the fact that any time a church becomes divided, it is because 
a group of people begin to place something higher than love. Something, some theology, some, some issue, some drive, some goal becomes your predominant thing that you're after. And you be, it begins to destroy the body. Because when love does not remain central, central, we begin to sacrifice people and relationships for our particular passions and agendas. And the moment that happens, there's dead bodies lying everywhere under the bus. Right? Of course, the very basic and fundamentals of the faith, they do need to be taught. They need to be established. They need to be fought for. They need to be upheld. They need to be in... We need, we need to, to not compromise on them in the slightest. But we do not teach theology to learn all kinds of cool things about God that we can go and jam down other people's throats. We learn about God. That's the stet- theology. is a theos, theos God, ology, the study of God. That's what we, we study God. And why do we do that? We study Him to find out about Him, to fall in love with Him. That's the point of it. Because if we don't grow in our awe, in our wonder, in our joy, in our trust and love of God for all that He is and for all that He's done for us, then we are doing theology all wrong. All wrong. It's the point. I haven't known a church that hasn't gotten into theology and into theology for theology's sake. Theological precision for precision's sake that hasn't ended up in a bunch of brokenness. They became like a doctor who falls in love with anatomy but he fails to get to know his wife. Who cares that he can identify the the different tissues in the meniscus when he doesn't even know the pains and sorrows in his own wife's heart? It's easy to do, to get caught up, to get derailed in some weird details and all these things, and yet we we, we miss the fundamental point of it all. Many have been slain in the name of truth. And this is why our focus needs to always be on how we can love God, love one another, and love the lost world around us. Not figuring out the seven weeks in Daniel. And by God's grace, this is what we'll seek to do. We will seek to try to get to know God so that we can love him more. That's the per- point and purpose of it. Delight in him more. Rejoice in him more. Follow him more. Trust him more. Love him more. And from that, love one another more. And love the world around us. That's what it's all about. We need to keep that as central. May Redeemer be about loving God and loving one another. May, may that be what we're about, fundamentally. May that be the point. May that be the purpose. May we seek to grow in that. And if we're to do that, it means this. It means the details like we're finding in Romans 16, 15. It means rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, getting into the details and the muck of life and sharing it with one another. Because unless we begin to share our joys and our sorrows, guess what? 
we will not be loving one another. And this is sharing joys and sharing sorrows. This isn't going to happen unless we learn to begin to reciprocate and, and actually start to rejoice with the person rejoicing, start to weep with those who are weeping, come alongside and share in that, and get excited what they're excited about, and get sorrowful what they're sorrowful about, and join in it with them. And, and what that'll begin to do, it begins to cultivate trust. It begins to cultivate warmth. It begins to cultivate affections of the heart. It, to be, it, it begins to cultivate bonds of love. I love these people. Because you now you're becoming convinced that they love you. This also means that we have to truly begin to listen. You know how easy it is when you're listening to start thinking about what you want to say next? So you, you look at a person and, and, and you're nodding. And I have no clue what they're saying right now. But man, I've got a good one. I can't wait till, I can't wait till they stop and so that I, I can say what I have to say. So we can learn to fake listen. We can learn that we can do that. Or we can get so jacked up about the point we want to make or something that, that's on our mind that we don't, we don't enter into what they're saying. And we fail to love one another in this way. Listening is so important. People can tell. We can tell when someone's spacing out, trying real hard to do, do the, you know, they're, they're, they're working real hard. They're doing all the mechanics right. The eyes are on my eyes, but they're on a different planet. I can tell the, 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 those eyeballs are connected to something in the brain, and the something in the brain is in somewhere else because they're fighting. Their eyeballs are fighting to stay f- focused, and you can see that they're thinking about something else. You feel really loved at that point, don't you? Oh, this person cares so much about what I have to say. You're just thinking, how do I end this conversation because this is going nowhere? We've got to be on guard against killers, the things that will just kill this loving community. Things like sarcasm. Things like trying to be witty and funny at the expense of others. Things that destroy this community. And learn to share in what others are going through. Do you realize that Hopefully, as, I, as you've been listening, there is a sense in which you hear God's standard and you find yourself woefully short at times. That we think, jeez, I, I know I don't listen half the time. Oh, I know I don't care half the time. Jeez. Uh, the good part about that is if you don't leave it there, you, what's supposed to do, what's supposed to happen when we hear God's word is we're supposed to hear it, and that should prick our hearts and humble us. And we seek the Lord. We say, Lord, I don't care about these people like I should. I don't listen like I should. I'm a lousy listener. I'm self-interested. I'm all wrapped up in my own self, my own thoughts, my own everything. It's pathetic, Lord. Please, Lord, have mercy on me. Give me a heart, please. Would you give me a heart for these people? Give me your heart for these people. Give me your love. Let me love them like, like you love them. 
Allow me to listen intently. Allow me to join in their rejoicing and join in their sorrow. Join with them. Please, O oh Lord, work that in my heart. Boy, now that is one beautiful response, even as I mentioned last week. It shouldn't be, woe is me, I stink at this. Uh, uh, you know, I'll never be like that. So why don't we just forget it and nice sermon, move on. No, please, please, hear this. Hear God's standard. He's calling us to love one another in a really big way. And it's probably in a way that goes beyond your capacity. And it's in a way that you realize you're going to need grace. You're going to need the Spirit. You're going to need God's strength to do it. And as a result of that, it causes you to seek the Lord to make you more like that. And, and as you do that, God will begin that work in your heart and your life, and you will see growth and progress in your life. And maybe you'll be like that child who after a while, enough exhortation, enough of God's work in your heart, you've got the eight cookies, and you finally break off a piece. But please don't be dismissive. Please allow God to work in your heart in this regard. And may we become the people of God who love like this. Amen. Father, we're so grateful. We're so thankful that you do exhort us. You discipline us. You correct us. You instruct us. And you spank us. Father, you know, you know how weak we are. You know how badly we listen to one another. You know how poorly we are at joining in with one another in our joys, in our sorrows. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Please.